Well, that is a taste of my next guest on Saturday morning, British-American violinist and author Edward Dusenberry. His first violin for the Tokach Quartet, billed as one of the world's great string ensembles, and it'll be performing at the Adam Chamber Music Festival in Nelson from the 1st of February next year. He's been playing with Tokach for 30 years and has also authored two books, most recently, Distant Melodies, Music in Search of Home, which is a combination of memoir and music history, looking at how music is tied to home, displacement and isolation. I asked Ed Dusenberry about being first violin and how they're in charge, aren't they? <laughs> it's an adventure being a first violin. Of course, I joined uh, 31 years ago a group that was already in existence and I was much younger than the others. So... I was kind of in charge and at the same time was very much learning how to do the job. And I think that's the really cool thing with quartets is that you, everyone has to have a very strong individual voice. And at the same time, you're all part of a team and you're always juggling those two things and there can be some tension between them, but it's part of the fun. Okay. So it's all part of the fun and that, that dynamic, that kind of tension, I suppose, within a string quartet, um, I suppose, how do you balance that? How do you work with that and also harness it? Yeah, I mean, you don't want everyone agreeing with each other all the time. That's pretty boring. And we're lucky we get a lot of time to rehearse and we also play many concerts. So you always want a lot of ideas in the room. And then everyone is generous about trying other people's ideas and you have to try them like you really mean them. And it's a certain amount of kind of making deals with each other. You know, you say, well, we'll try something this way. We'll try playing, you know, really loudly here and and make this very sudden drop and we'll see how we like it. And it's all part of a process. I feel like we're trying new ideas and discovering different things every time we play practically, even with pieces that we know very well. You've got to kind of get that sense of being, you know, one voice and Working that out, I guess, must take a bit of time and a bit of sort of jiggling around to work out how how you do that and how you all kind of move as one. Exactly. And the thing that we always come back to is the the basic thing is what character or mood or emotion do you want to convey in the music? And if we can agree on that, I mean, we've got a problem if, you know, if one of us thinks something's sad and the other one thinks it's happy, then, you know, we have to try some different options and, and we have to agree on that. Otherwise, the audience won't feel we're pulling together. But once we've agreed on our goal with the emotion, then it's just a matter of the tools, um, you know, which could be true for any art form, like with painters, the different colours they use or the different brush strokes. It's quite similar for us. And then we're just talking about, you know, how to move our bows or or what type of sound we want to make or how much we want to vibrate. And, and that's the, the sort of detail stuff that hopefully that process, by the time we get on stage, the audience can feel that we're really unified. How much then do you or are you able to impose a sense of your own personality through that interpretation of the music? Or how much do you have to sort of drop into the composer and, and to sort of disappear into their work? Yeah, that's such a great question. And that's the the thing you're always balancing in the group because you want both, yeah? I mean, I think everyone in a quartet wants to feel like they're expressing themselves and can be free. 
And I feel really lucky with these guys in the quartet. We're in a kind of a, a sweet spot, I would say, where we all get on really well. And um, there's strong personalities in the group, but we're all pulling together. Um, and I think it, it actually, in a great piece of music, that's the kind of thing that's beautiful, is that you can both express yourself, but also sometimes you can get to the end of a great quartet and realize that you've been so absorbed in it and just trying to get inside the composer's head and what he or she are, are thinking and their emotions and what their life experience was. You can get to the end of a 30-minute piece and completely forget yourself you've been so absorbed and I mean how liberating is that <laughs> absolutely and I guess to work with the other members of the quartet um how do you make it how do you get it to the point where it's like an oiled machine because you must see an awful lot of each other yeah we do we rehearse um probably you know when we're in when we're at home we rehearse three three hours most days um and uh it, it's it is it is a lot of work but um, somehow the process just seems to work. I think when we're having fun and we can have jokes and also do really serious work. Um, and then another thing that oils the machine, as you, as you rightly put it, is just the experience of playing concerts, which you, you learn more in a concert than you do in 10 rehearsals. So I think we always come off stage and we can be happy with how we played. And the next day we'll be like, yeah, that was interesting. Let's try that a bit differently. Or so it's, I suppose it's it, the, the there's also an element of spontaneity and risk taking and being on the edge so that sometimes it doesn't feel so well oiled in fact there's there's an element of um of of risk taking and I think that's very important to us as a group so we don't ever want to feel that we've sort of nailed things down so we know exactly what's going to happen on stage in some ways the, the purpose of rehearsing is that when you get on stage you have the confidence that you can be a bit freer and and try some things and know that everyone will be there and and we all take those chances on stage depending on who's got the melody <laughs> yeah how do you make classical music appealing to new audiences um, other than just people who perhaps are, are really keen on going to concerts and of course there are very many of them but what is the the way of of broadening that appeal yeah it's a great question there's a couple of ways I'd answer it I think first of all it's up to the performers to play in such a way that it feels that there's a spirit of surprise and discovery and adventure it shouldn't sound like we're just kind of looking at the notes and bringing something to the stage that we've studied very hard. Um, so that element of of danger and spontaneity, I think, can be very uh, appealing. And I think it's also to do with the pieces of music you choose to, to have a real mix of things. So there's something for everyone. And sometimes we find people, um, for example, we're playing this piece by Nokatula Nwenyama that was written for us, and we'll play that when we're in New Zealand um, at the festival. That's a brand new piece some people who um, might find Mozart a little difficult or or Bartok, they listen to that piece and they're like, wow, that was nothing like I expected. It's it's very accessible. It's very tuneful. There's a kind of spirit of delight. Um, other people, I, I have friends who um, love Bartok's music for the sort of rhythm and the intensity of that. Um, and then, of course, there, there are people who love Beethoven and Mozart. And I think... These days, we're discovering, like many performers, underrepresented composers. So, for example, we're playing also at this festival, the Florence Price Piano Quintet, which is a extraordinary piece. So I think probably 
you know, classical music gets a little bit of a bad reputation for being too studied and too serious. And I think it's about the spontaneity and the adventure and and uh, coming to have an experience where you'll be surprised and maybe take go somewhere you didn't expect. Also, I guess you need to appeal to as many people as, you know, as broad a, a section of people as you can. But at the same time, you don't want to lose the purists, do you? Yeah, that's right. And certainly with our audiences here in, in Colorado, we have our own series we've been doing for many, many years. And we have some people who come, have been coming to hear us for 30 or even longer, more years than that. But we also work with local organizations. We bring, we invite string students to come, um, younger people to come and listen to our stage rehearsal and to give us questions. And I think, I think sort of with people who are not familiar and sometimes with younger audiences, it's really good for them to feel engaged and to realize that listening is not a passive thing. You're, you're equally involved as the performer. I mean, a music doesn't exist without a listener. And so if we can get young audiences to, to feel that engagement and feel they can ask questions and it's appropriate to have opinions and for them to ask, you know, why did you do that? And that sounds a bit weird. And, you know, what are you doing there? And that's, that's already somewhat of a victory, I think, because then, then they're really actively listening and then they'll have a much more fun experience, I think. That element of performance as well can't be understated can it for uh for classical music as well it's not perhaps not quite in the realm of of reading shakespeare versus watching the play being performed but but it is important to to sort of see it alive it's it's incredibly important you're absolutely right and i think in our group there's a physicality in what we do um, in, in a lot of the music that we play, uh, which you just can't appreciate on a recording, you know, good good experience though that may be. Uh, and also just the little interactions between people on stage, you know, the, that sense of someone kind of going on a little bit of a riff on their own, that back to the individual expression or a little dialogue where people are throwing off a little musical idea back and forth and maybe it's got a kind of funny almost competitive element to it. And then those, you know, passages where we really come together, the four of us, and we're all doing exactly the same thing. That that sort of balance of the group and the individual personalities, that's something you only really get when you're in the live hall, I think. Mm. Now, you also have done various kinds of innovation, uh, particularly around performance, I suppose, with the incorporation of poetry. Um, tell me a little bit about that and and what you were wanting to achieve with that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's up to performers to always be asking the question, what is a concert and what can it be and how can it be different from what we're used to? And uh, so, yeah, we did we did a couple of projects. We did a, a project with a US poet where we played individual movements and he read love poetry in between and we and the, the music and the words kind of conversed with each other. Um, we did a we did a a project that was immensely powerful with um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, a wonderful actor who sadly died um, some years ago. And, and uh, that was the same thing where he, he read actually excerpts from a book by Philip Roth. And we, we played music around that. Um, I like the idea of mixing genres and uh, you, you know, not, it's good if people can't categorize you to, Exactly. And in order to do that, you need to always be coming up with 
with fun ideas. Um, just this last season, we played a lot with a wonderful bandagnon or accordion player. And um, that, of course, mixed things up, just the, the nature of the instruments and the sounds. So, yeah, I think I think we're always trying to, there's there's a part of our playing where we're always trying to do innovative things. And, and then, of course, there's the more kind of mainstream standard, if you like, repertoire, which we which we also find very exciting to play. Now, in 2022, your book, uh, Distant Melodies, kind of a combination of memoir and music history, was looking at how music is tied to home, the idea of, you know, of, of, of that, of displacement and of isolation. Um, what is your own story around that of dislocation? Yeah, I mean, so I grew up in uh, in England and... I moved to America in uh, 1990 to study at the Juilliard School. And I have to say, first of all, that my own story of displacement, uh, as, you, as you rightly put it, is, is a little embarrassingly privileged. I mean, my dad was American and I had a US passport and I didn't suffer from many of the uncertainties and the awful situations that that, that people, refugees, have to go through. So I, I wouldn't like to equate my experience with that. But what I did suffer from was definitely yearning for home and, and sort of crippling homesickness when I was first in New York. And um, that sense that you're when you're very far away from home, uh, you're trying to hang on to something in a way, but then when you go back, it's often changed. Um, and that's can be a beautiful experience, but often it's quite a poignant one. And of course, you lose family, you lose friends. And so I during the pandemic, of course, when we couldn't travel, I was thinking a lot about um, how music can be a way to hang on to ideas of home and, and be a literally a, a place to, to to inhabit um the emotions and you know the memories i think i think perhaps we can all think of a particular song or a tune that if you just hear a snippet of it it takes you back to a particular place or a particular person so that was that was kind of the um what got me interested in in, um, in writing the book, my own experience as a, as a Brit in America and uh, and then looking at the lives and music of some composers who also, of course, travelled. Mm. It's almost like time travelling, isn't it, sometimes, listening to a piece of music and it's so sort of vital and visceral the way that it will just drop you straight back into a, a situation, you know, maybe decades ago. Yeah, I think it's, it's staggering and it, and it can sort of, you know, it's it, it it's amazing like that, and um, I think when I was in this country, of course, one of the things when you're a long way away from home, um, which I'm sure New Zealanders can relate to as well, is that you miss very important family occasions like weddings and funerals, and there's the, those things. You, you need some kind of substitute for that, and I think for me, music's been a way to stay in touch with people when otherwise I've lost touch in certain ways. What was the place of music in your childhood? Was classical music a big deal? It was in a in a fun sort of way. Um, I I would say, although my grandfather and my great great grandfather actually was a, a professional musician, um, he was a, a church composer, uh, and then my grandfather was a was a pianist who ended up being in music administration. But overall, the feeling was a lot of family get-togethers where we kind of hacked through in a very joyous kind of a uproarious way <laughs> lots of repertoire um sort of sextets octets it's, it's actually fun on this festival to be 
the collaborating collaborating with the wonderful New Zealand string quartet and we'll be playing a sextet with them. And that was the sort of repertoire that I grew up um playing, you know, around this time of year at Christmas actually. And and um so I think chamber music was always associated with a sense of of fun um and exploration. Um, and but it was quite a strong musical background in 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 some ways. Uh, I think your grandfather that you mentioned there was uh, he was quite keen on Beethoven. Was that your first experience? Yeah, exactly. So my grandfather uh, John Stainer he was a he 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 would be embarrassed if I described him as a pianist because he was a very modest guy, but he was a very good amateur pianist. And when we went to spend vacations at his. Uh, his and my grandmother's beautiful cottage. Um, uh, he would play Beethoven piano sonatas quite a lot. And, you know, as a young kid, to some extent, I'd rather be out in the garden playing cricket. And so with my younger brother, we were often doing that. But even then, you'd hear these beautiful sounds floating through the garden. And uh, as I got older, I used to actually sit inside and just loved listening to him. And I think from my grandfather, I got that, sense of a of a of a musician who's so deeply connected to the music it wasn't about ego for him or trying to make a living playing music um i think he he loved it when people wanted to listen to his playing but um he was always so delighted when he got to the end of a a, a beethoven sonata and that sort of spirit of discovery and delight something that stayed with me for many many years now, you are coming to New Zealand uh, with a show called Flow. The inspiration behind that is the natural world, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, the composer, Nokatula Nwenyama, we asked her if she might be uh, willing to consider writing a quartet for us. We we know from her previous music that that's something she's very interested in, and she's She's written a, a really delightful piece that has all sorts of elements of the natural world. It starts um, quite weirdly with us making the sort of sounds that you wouldn't really expect from string instruments. It's very sort of eerie, high-pitched sounds. And I think she's inspired by a, a particular scientist who was trying to imagine what the beginning of the universe, what the, the so-called Big Bang might have sounded like. And uh, not surprisingly, it didn't actually in his mind sound like a Big Bang at all. Um, so we start with these very eerie, mysterious sounds, uh, and then there's there's sort of great beauty in the piece, great tunefulness. There are sections where she's uh, imagining these great, um, uh, enormous migrations of starlings and the kind of sweeping, I guess, the murmurations is the word that's often used. And um, so, yeah, it's it's so we we play that, and it's it's in combination, I guess, with pieces that we'll also be playing in New Zealand that are. Uh, in their own ways related to the natural world. So we're playing a Haydn quartet, the Sunrise, so nicknamed, and the Beethoven quartet we're playing. Um, the, it's an Opus 59, and apparently the slow movement, he was inspired after um, the, sort of looking at the stars at night and the, the idea of the music of the spheres. And uh, I don't know, I mean, New Zealand, I, I love New Zealand so much. We've been there several times on rather frantic tours, just running from one place to the next. And I'm always sorry not to spend more time, you know, celebrating the natural world that is in New Zealand. But at least, at least this time we're bringing some music that's related and, and we'll also be in Nelson in the same place for, for about 10 days. So I, I can't wait. Uh, when you are listening to music yourself, uh, if you're choosing 
something. What kind of thing do you listen to aside from classical? I would probably most readily go straight to Ella Fitzgerald um, and her love ballads. I mean, I find her voice remains to be me utterly intoxicating. Um, and I'm, I'm a sort of a fan of, um, I guess, older, more traditional jazz. I also um, love the sound of the big band, um, sort of Glenn Miller. And I, I suppose I grew up in that kind of, uh, being very aware of that English brass band tradition as well. Um, so th- those are some directions that I would go in. Of course, I also grew up very much with with uh, Queen and Bohemian Rhapsody and those kind of things. So, yeah, I, 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 um, I think it's fair to say, actually, when I'm listening to music for fun, that most often it is not classical music. <laughs> <laughs> yes, was it like listen to- <laughs> listening to work? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about this time of year, uh, Christmas time? What sort of music do you go straight to at this time of year? Oh, that's a good question. I think it does take me back to some of those pieces that I played around Christmas time. Um, I so things like the Elgar String Serenade, um, which was is, is a beautiful early early work of his, um, and I'm still very much. Uh, I suppose sentimental for the English choral tradition. My my cousins went to choir school at Ely Cathedral, and so we often used to go and listen to them sing and the, you know traditional carols, but also um, some of the more contemporary ones. Yeah, that's that. Those are the sort of things. But also at this time of year, we've just been like we've just come off a massive concert tour, basically all of the autumn. <laughs> so. Um, to some extent, it's quite nice to, you know, do do some other things like watch movies and <laughs> go to the theatre and give one's ears a little bit of a rest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, look, thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Appreciate it. Uh, I really enjoyed it, Susie. Thanks. And that is Edward Dusenberry there of the Tokach Quartet. They'll be performing at the Adam Chamber Music Festival in Nelson between the 1st and the 10th of February next year. You can find out more at music.org.nz. There are heaps of events from there, so certainly worth checking out.